Prepare to unlock your potential and conquer the business realm with Boss Uncaged. Join S.A. Grant, a seasoned entrepreneur, digital marketing expert, and branding specialist as he delves into exclusive interviews, strategies, and success stories from founders, business owners, entrepreneurs, and executives. Guiding you from overcoming challenges to dominating diverse media platforms, Boss Uncaged is your ultimate source for business and entrepreneurial insights. Subscribe, like, and share now to elevate your business game where the spirit of the uncaged boss runs free. Meet the visionary behind the Boss Uncaged Educational Network and Omnimedia, the one and only boss beast, S.A. Grant. Welcome, welcome back to Boss Uncaged Podcast. So this episode, I, I think I would say it's overdue, but I mean, we, we recently just met each other, but it feels like we've known each other for like a, a long period of time. So uh, Zach and I, we met in, in Texas at the um, SEN Summit, Badass Summit, and we just, you know, like, like what he does with everyone, it, it just takes off. I mean, it just like the synergy was there, like the, the brotherhood was there. So I'm going to name him the tactical boss. Because again, everything that he's doing systematically is done tactically from head to toe. So Zach, the floor is yours. Why don't you tell us a little bit more about you and what we're going to be going over today? Yeah, I appreciate you having me yesterday. This is going to be a great conversation. Um, definitely overdue, it seems like. But um, yeah, man, I, I wouldn't say uh, the tactical boss is trying to, to be uh, as much of a boss as I can be, catch up with some folks. and uh, But a lot of it's all about tactics, man. Everything from my background in law enforcement, military, to now business, I really focus on those small bite side segments. Um, and a lot of that uh, really kind of fell forward into my own podcast and, of course, the book that just released a couple of weeks ago and um, trying to really just expand and grow that piece of things from uh, that awareness side and help uh, small businesses with those tactics and really tactics in life as a whole. Yeah, very cool. Very cool. And I think that kind of leads me to like one of the things that, that I read on, on one of your websites. It was saying to be a leader who protects, serves, listens, cares, and secures. So I wanted I want to talk about it. I mean, obviously you're you're the embodiment of that. So like how did you come up with that slogan and what does that mean to you? Yeah, I think that was my security firm really focused on that. Uh, we shifted pre-COVID. Um, we really focused on uh, consulting, physical security, and really helping. Um, really, uh, churches, schools, those those like movie theaters, those uh, the active shooter piece really kind of geared up pre-COVID, and that was a big hot topic. And my security firm started doing a lot of consulting in that space. And what I realized as we were going through it, they were spending hundreds of thousand dollars to prep for certain things and prep for um, hopefully something that never happened. And at the end of the day, I realized no matter how much money they spent, their people still didn't feel safe. So it shifted more into a leadership and psychological safety um, mm -hmm. Uh, that type of company, right? I really wanted to focus on as a leader, how do you tell your organization what you've done to keep them safe and what you've done to invest in them? Um, and and it, post COVID, it kind of got even stronger where people didn't feel safe coming back to work for several different reasons. And um, it really focused on that ideology attached to as a leader. You have to show those things. You can't just say, oh, I spent a bunch of money over here and did this. You have to show this is what we're doing and then talk about it and let your people know through um, really good communication. Wow. Wow. I, I mean, with, with that kind of goes back to, to your upbringing. So I want you to kind of talk about that for a minute. And, and in your book, you know, in your first chapter, you kind of go into that. You know, you're saying that you, you took on your stepfather's last name and then you, you, you wanted to kind of embrace it and become the embodiment of that and the person that he was. And, you know, you, you even gave him for forgiveness for being a, a Navy vet versus, you know, Army. So I want you to kind of like, <laughs> talk about that. I mean, like, what would your upbringing like? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, have to rise on him a little bit, and he, he cracks me up, man. He uh, he's my stepdad. Um, he married my mom when I was about three, so only man I've ever known, only man I know is my father. And um, I, I give him crap for being in the Navy, but uh, he was in Vietnam, so obviously it was a pretty serious time for the military. And um, but he always jokes with me when we were growing up. Uh, you know, we'd be in the pool swimming or whatever, and he always made a joke that he he never learned to swim. I'm like, what do you mean? You're in the Navy. Like, that's like one-on-one in the Navy. He's like, no, the whole the whole point is to not get off the boat. And if you get off the boat, you're in trouble anyway. So you never learn how to swim. So you learn how to stay on the boat, essentially. Um, but that, that's kind of how how my dad is, man. He, he's good people. He He's that old school type of guy. Um, hasn't sat down a day in his life. And he's really focused on always moving, always doing something, always giving to somebody. And I think a lot of that really comes through in 
the virtues I try to bring forth. And he has the perfect last name for, you know, a knight by those standards really fulfill all that, the servant mindset, the being there when people need you. Um, and when I was 15, I took his name, um, as my last name and changed my name to having that knight name and bringing forward really his legacy, right? Uh, it's a legacy I'm building, but it's in his name and his honor. So really trying to focus on highlighting how awesome of a dude he is. So, I mean, that's pretty cool. But I think most people, they don't know that you were like born and raised in Atlanta, born and raised in Atlanta mm-hmm. to the point that, that, that you should get a tattoo on, on your left butt cheek that says Grady, baby. Right. So I should. It's my claim to fame. (laughs) (laughs) But on the other side of the coin, right? I mean, your mom, like you depict your mom as this this stubborn person that just would not quit. So obviously from the genetic side, you're getting some of of this pizzazz from her as well, I would think. Yeah. And they're both small business owners when I was growing up. So she she's one of those, man. She did different things and then was a Mary Kay consultant for many years. Um, My dad was pre uh, Y2K for those of y'all that remember Y2K it was an engineer. Um, both of them are Georgia natives. So he, he really learned that piece when Y2K hit a mass amount of layouts, layoffs happened. Both were laid off. Um, so my mom ended up uh, getting to Mary Kay. My dad started his own renovations company. And you could just see over the years, a renovations company, right? Heading into 06, 07, 08, when the housing market crashed, like, oh, this is terrible. But the reality of it is people stopped buying and selling and they started renovating. So his company took off. Uh, my mom was doing her different piece of things where she was really focused on Mary Kay. Uh, actually left that. And this is like an amazing piece that I, I really admire about my folks. Like she was... Uh, she went back to school and got a degree in uh, veterinary medicine um, as a um, surgical tech. And she was, you know, in her 40s going back to school and wanted to relearn something. Now she's built herself back up in an organization where she's a, um, a VP of operations for this uh, mergers and acquisitions company for veterinary clinics. So she went from making like $8 an hour in her 40s on a new job to now, you know, just crushing life, traveling the Southeast, uh, acquiring new veterinary clinics. So having that type of like determination, I mean, it's, it's one of those, as I look at what I'm doing, I'm like, man, I got an easy life when you have those types of role models of never quit, never stop and being just forever stubborn and I'm going to succeed. I think, I think one element that, that, that you forgot and you left out in the last statement that you made is that also your mom has, you know, fought cancer as well. So, I mean, like that, that, what you're saying is phenomenal, but on top of it, the fact that she went through cancer treatment and yeah. chemo, and you were saying in your book that sometimes she even faces like the weekends where it kind of slows her down enough, but then next day she's back up on her feet traveling again. So obviously stubborn, it, it, if I had to interview your mom, <laughs> I would name her the stubborn boss, hands down, period. You know, yeah, she's she's stubborn as hell, man. She's go, still going through chemo, still going through stuff to, uh, to this day. So it's it's kind of a tough one to see. Um, where again, she doesn't sit down either. She doesn't know what quit is as much as I try to like bonk her over the head and sit her down myself. But, uh, but yeah, man, she's still hustling, still grinding, still doing stuff. And um, throughout that, she actually discovered she has Lyme and lupus and just like the, the alphabet of uh, different conditions that she's dealing with on top of the cancer. Um, but she's fighting, man. She's fighting straight through it, always up doing something. I, I was talking to her this week and she's down in uh, Fort Walton like hanging out my dad's retired now so he's like on the beach fishing and they're like hey you want to come fish i'm like ah i gotta grind for the next like 30 years so i can catch up to y'all uh but my mom's down there working another MA and my dad's down there fishing on you know on the shores of fancy florida hopefully where it's a lot warmer than it is up here yeah yeah i think you brought up a good point i think you were saying that you, your mom went from eight dollars an hour to, to her next level you were saying mm-hmm. that you know potentially you have to work 30 years to catch up to them but i want to talk about i mean inside your book you were talking about hey in one particular opportunity, you were making $40,000 a year as a police officer. In basic, you were making $18,000 a year, and then you had your first $10,000 a month. So yeah. obviously that, I see the smile on your face, right? Because I mean, like that, that that's a hell of a moment to go from $18,000 annually to $10,000 a month. So I want you to talk about like, how did you get to that? And then how does how has that has changed where you're going and where you are right now? Yeah, man. So that was like month seven of my security firm when we first opened it back in 2016, 2017. Um, and I really launched that uh, while I was still in officer school in the military. So I was active duty and kind of did the business plan. I, I'm, I'm one of those guys that legitimately put the business plan on a napkin and then came back and like made it work. Uh, I knew I didn't want to get back in law enforcement after the military. And 
yeah, I was making 18 grand a year. Um, and with, with law enforcement, with all the side jobs, I was really probably bringing home closer to 70, right? So I went from that to the 18K years and E4 in the military, went through basic training. I've been a SWAT operator. I was doing drug and narcotics investigations here in Atlanta. And I went from that to getting yelled at by a drill sergeant that was younger than I was and had to like suck it up and make do uh, while making 18 grand a year. Um, and then come back and like jump headlong into business ownership and really found a a need where I could bridge the gap um, in a different capacity here in Atlanta. And as I built and grew those first few months, it's, it's, it's a grind, man. Um, and I, I really didn't want to deal with it on some days. And then other days it was, man, this is a hell of a win, right? And then month seven, I uh, hit 10K in revenue. It's like, dude, this is like a quarter of my salary from... Uh, the, the law enforcement, I'm on to something. I'm like, this is going to be so freaking awesome. And then month eight, I left for Afghanistan. So that momentum came to a screeching halt. Um, so it's like the ups and downs, right? You learn some lessons really quick and you hit some really awesome wins. And then it's like, oh shit, how do we keep this going for a year out of the desert in the Middle East? Very cool. Very cool. I think you brought up another key point and, and I'm going to be a smart ass with this. I mean, I, I forgot we was on a call. I think it was maybe like a whiskey Wednesday call. Yeah. And that's when I first found out that you were into gang and SWAT. And on that call, I was telling you about graffiti. And then like literally before the call was over, you were just kind of like, what was your tag name? <laughs> I'm thinking about reporting my ass. I remember that shit very vividly. So you still got some cop in you, 100%. There's no question about that. Uh, you know, you know, you just got to identify. That's all, man. So I know. <laughs> it's funny, man. So, I mean, obviously, like you're talking about your journey, you're talking about your ups and downs. So I think. PTSD is probably one of like the biggest downs when it comes to like military. So I want you to kind of, I mean, this book, like to your point that you was writing this book, you wanted to write a business book, but instead you wrote a book about love and it was more so love for, for yourself. So I want you to talk about how did you use the love for yourself to kind of overcome the PTSD? Yeah. And an interesting piece that I didn't realize about PTSD, you know, I always thought about PTSD is like the reactionary PTSD where something goes off in the background and I, and I flinch. Right. And I, I did, have that. And there's some days I still, uh, all of a sudden, something catch me off guard, right? And, and it gives me a little bit of anxiety attached to it. But I uh, did a lot of work there to overcome that piece of it. But what I didn't realize, and my therapist actually explained it to me, he actually explained there's a 20 something different segments of PTSD. And one of the biggest segments that people don't recognize is PTSD avoidance. Essentially, after 15 years of government work, they teach you to compartmentalize everything, just pack it away, put the skeletons in the closet, don't worry about them, it'll be fine, continue mission. And after 15 years of doing that, you get in a really good habit of avoiding all of these struggles, all these pains, right? And that was the biggest thing was he recognized that I avoided dealing with all the nonsense I didn't want to deal with. Right. So it went beyond the bad operations or the good operations, losing guys It went beyond all that to where if I, if there's something happening in life that I didn't want to deal with, I would just avoid it. And I'd pack it in the closet, lock the door and, and hope it stayed there. And what we have to recognize is as you do that more and more, it's like a volcano, right? It just starts bubbling. It keeps bubbling under the surface and eventually it erupts. And that ended up happening about 18 months ago. Um, I was in a really dark spot. Um, I had six businesses at that time. I um, was on the verge of an eight-figure uh, merger, sale, uh, exit out of one of my companies, and was really kind of riding high, man. When you look at it from the external, the success was there. Like You could look at it on paper and be like, dude, this dude's crushing. He just scaled throughout COVID, launched a couple more businesses, He's, You know, meeting with people, talking about eight figures. And it's like... Yeah, I, I on the surface was doing really well, but on the inside, absolutely hated the process, hated every aspect of it, hated friends, family, relationships. There was just pure hate and anger from things I didn't want to deal with. And I didn't understand it. Um, this was before I got into therapy, before I started doing a lot of really self-work. And I, I started, um, I, I didn't recognize it all because I was just avoiding it. And I didn't know why I was angry and why I was so mad at different pieces of things. And, and a lot of that's where the book picks up. It's right about 18 months ago. And it kind of starts talking through that journey of self-mastery and finding myself again after the uniform because I got injured um, in Afghanistan. I have nerve damage in my arm. Um, so going through medical discharge and I, I, that uniform that I've had for 15 years getting taken away from me. Now it's like, well, shit, who the hell am I? I, I don't know who I am. I don't know who Zach Knight is. And there's nothing to love about myself anymore because I don't have that service. I'm not serving anymore. So I had to rediscover a lot of things there. And and the book really dives kind of deep into that piece of it, not just 
what happened. I think a lot of people talk about vulnerability. Oh, you can talk about Afghanistan. You can talk about losing people. You can talk about the operations. But see, that is vulnerability. But the true piece of vulnerability in my mind is what happened afterwards. What was the fallout of those things? And that's what the book dives into is like, this happened in Afghanistan. This happened throughout my life. But here's what the result of it was when I didn't deal with it and didn't hit it head on and didn't actually focus on myself to learn more about myself. I think I think that particular story is phenomenal because it's 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 the circle of life, right? So I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna tell the, the listener a particular story about you that kind of mimics exactly what you said. I mean, back when you were younger, you were really big into baseball. You fell in love with baseball. You learned how to throw, you know, under under um under a branch. I think that was the story. Yeah. That, that branch grew. You started throwing like underhanded pitches until where coaches were like, "Oh my God, like who are you and where have you been hiding?" Yeah. And then you had an accident and that arm kind of ruined your career, which is kind of what you're depicting right now, right? I mean, you're mm-hmm. saying that you were, you were, you were premium, you were jumping forward, you were moving forward. And then the irony is that is your arm is the reason why you had to leave the military. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's kind of, uh, it really is, a, I guess, when you look at it like that, a, a full depiction around it, it's funny, that story. It's like, man, you actually did read the book. Um, it, it's funny, that story. Um, you didn't realize it in the time. Like I went from being a decent pitcher to a phenomenal pitcher um, over a summer because of a damn branch that grew over my yard where I was practicing. Um, and then, yeah, you circle forward now and it kind of, uh, another uniform got taken from that injury. And the funny, not the funny part, the, the crazy part is just like I didn't know that branch was there changing the arm angle when I was pitching. I have no idea what injured my arm. No clue. Um, and I talk about it a little bit, but everybody's like, oh, what happened? What was the operation? I mean, I got so beat up over there. And you have to think 15 years of it. So SWAT and doing operations and and every four days with the Green Berets, we were doing operations. So I don't know when my arm was actually hurt. I just came back, tried to do a push-up, dislocated my thumb, and everything went numb. So like, I don't know the catalyst attached to what happened. And it's kind of crazy when you put it conceptually like that. It's like, I have no clue what hurt it. I just know it hurts and it doesn't feel good half the time. And uh, a lot of people uh, thought I was no longer worth a darn after I lost the use of that arm. Uh, I think it's crazy because, I mean, obviously you're coming from a stubborn upbringing, right? You're coming from from a relentless dad. And, and I forgot where it was in your book, but you talking like right around when you was 21, it was something about being around toxic people that weren't able to help themselves or they didn't want to help themselves. But obviously you're you're the opposite end, right? I mean, you're more than willing to help yourself. But in the moments that you're down, it may seem to you that you're not helping yourself. I want you to kind of talk to that because, again, the listener may be someone that's in a business right now and they may be hitting a hurdle. Right. And that hurdle, they may be pushing. They may be doing everything they think is correct. And then they're like inches away from actually getting that level of success. But then they get knocked back down. And you've been knocked down at least a dozen times in your life. So I want you to talk to that. And I want you to explain how did you push through and and conquer those things as they came up? Um, You know, I can say all the catchy stuff. Right. Um, you work 20 years to become an overnight success. And I feel like I'm still not there. Um, you can talk about uh, the military loves acronyms. Um, so fail is an acronym for first attempt in learning. Um, I can talk about all the catchy stuff. Right. The reality of it is, man, I, I stopped ignoring those those pieces where I feel down. Um, that's something that I really had to learn the hard way. Cause again, compartmentalize it. If you feel like garbage and you're like, oh, I just screwed this up and I'm you're down on yourself, you're beating yourself up, we are always going to be our worst critic, right? We're always going to be the harshest person that deals with ourselves. Um, and that negative self-talk will destroy every piece of progress you're working on, right? And what I had to recognize was like I I ignored that for so long, but it's still there. Just because you ignore it doesn't mean it goes away, right? Just because you end up on a in, in, at the bottom of a bottle of bourbon doesn't mean you don't wake up the next day with the hangover and the same damn problem you're dealing with. So really sitting down and feeling what you're feeling. Like, don't ignore the feelings. Don't ignore like, oh man, I'm really frustrated right now as a business owner. And I really hate that I'm, you know, just overdrafting my bank account. Can't tell you how many times that's happened and not that long ago, right? Or you fit, you, you lost a client or you something happens where it just always feels like a damn setback and you can't really get over the hill, right? Um Sit there and feel it. Don't ignore it. Don't just keep grinding and put your head, you know, down and keep beating your head against the wall. Because a lot of times we have to realize is there are a lot of ways around that wall. You can go over, under, around. Like there's so many ways you don't have to keep beating your head against the same wall. But if your head's in the trenches and you never take a second to pick your head up, 
you might not see the other avenues that are present to you. Um, if you're sitting there beating yourself up over perceived failures, you're never going to take the time to take a step back and embrace that learning opportunity, right? You're never going to embrace where, what did I, what just happened? Why the hell did it just happen? And how can I, one, keep that from happening again, but two, how can I leverage this into success in the future? And that it was the biggest shift for me is leveraging things for success in the future. And that's where a lot of the uh, positivity, both in personal and in business has really started moving forward. Hmm. So I'm, I think based upon what you said, it's like, you know, just figuring out that moment of change and opportunity. And, and you kept talking about 18 months, 18 months. And the irony is, is like I went to your old Instagram page. And so January 29th of 2020 is when you made the announcement for the podcast. So I want you mm-hmm. to talk about like, was that was was your podcast kind of similar to like mm. a life changing event that kind of helped you to become who you are right now by being by by delivering your voice and and interviewing other people? Was that an opportunity for you to move forward? Uh, Not initially. Um, Initially, I I was in a mastermind and everybody in the group had a a podcast. I'm like, bro, why don't you have a podcast? I'm like, I was fighting that self-doubt and that imposter syndrome. Well, nobody wants to hear what I have to say. Mm -hmm. Well, you have a great voice in leadership. You've had this experience somebody else has dealt with. Like, of course, people are going to hear you talk. I'm like, that's not not at all. Right. I'm like, that bullshit. Like, okay, well, instead of shifting it like that, shift it into the mindset of, Take a journey for yourself to learn more about leadership. If you don't think you're the expert in leadership, go learn more about it and use your podcast for that. Um, so originally, it's called Tactical Leadership. Um, and, and there were several pieces attached to it where they named it. Um, I'm certified Dale Carnegie instructor, the military, the police, uh, CrossFit, baseball. I went and coached everything I've ever done. Now business, I'm a business coaching consultant. So everything I've always done, I've had that teaching mindset, but always seeking to learn more at the same time. So initially the podcast was all about how do I learn more about leadership? How do I go find out some of these amazing tactics that business leaders have used for decades. And some people, uh, my mentor, Michael Coles, uh, he started the Great American Cookie Company. He started it in the freaking 70s and sold it in the 90s for nine nine figures. You don't think I want to learn more about that? And he was like episode two, I think, on my show. Um, That's something where I'm like, this is a great opportunity for me to learn about leadership and not just assume I'm the expert. It's like, man, there's so many experts out there that I can learn more from. And that's what it was for uh, probably about a year, year and a half. It was all about business, leadership, business tactics. And then you'll notice a shift right as I was going through the darker time. Um, I'd say it was probably about January of 21. So I guess right a, a year later, Lordy, uh, a year later, you hear a shift in my voice. You hear a shift in um, the whole podcast. And it shifted it to the tactical leader, um, rebranded it slightly, made it a little bit more me. Um, and it went into self-mastery. It went into mindset. I started talking to a lot more people about how did you personally get through something? And each one of those podcasts became therapy sessions. And I started having all these great conversations with these amazing people. And it was before I ever started therapy. And it honestly probably opened the, the mindset toward, I need some sort of formal therapy. I need somebody that I can talk to about my mental health status and where I was struggling through all that. Um, so you'll notice that shift. And that's really where I feel like the podcast kind of took off. It was like more personal, more raw, more um, insightful into the stuff we actually deal with every day and not the stuff that we just want to talk about every day. Wow. So, I mean, that, that kind of that, that transition and, and in the book, you kind of deemed yourself at one time being a suicidal drunk, but now obviously you're on like the legacy of love. So my next question is, if you could define yourself today in just three mm-hmm. to five words, what would those three mm. to five words be? Well, that's a good question, man. Um, honestly, I think branding myself and looking at it, the tactical leader, um, that's how I see myself, right? Not that I'm the only tactical leader, but I feel like now that's such a great conceptualization of what I do in business and life. So I help people tactically. I help them with their next step. I help them with that next small thing to accomplish that big, hairy, audacious goal. Um, and I think that's the best way to describe it. It's like I'm the tactical leader, the guy that can help lead you in those small tactics. Um, sounds kind of arrogant, but it's like, man, I don't know any other way to explain how I'm helping people these days. 
Well, I mean, I, I think it, it, it's who you are. And I mean, you embodied even even before this show, you had sent me a message and you was like, just double tap. And I found it like completely humorous because I mean, obviously, if you know anything <laughs> about the military, you're thinking about double tap, triple tap. So it's kind of like you're, you're infused in this this tactical variation of what business is. So I want you to talk about it from a standpoint. Let's say I, I, I'll come to you as a business owner and I'm saying, hey, how could you help me? Like, what's the first thing that, that you're going to actually dive into and have a conversation about with someone that's coming to you for help? It really focuses on where the struggle is and not the, hey, I'm not making enough money or I'm not making enough revenue. There's so much beyond that. And there's an exercise and everybody will talk about Simon Sinek, Start With Why. And I, I love that book. But there's also an exercise I call the seven levels of why. Mm. And you start tying in why are people, why do people give a shit about building something? Why do I care about a legacy? Right. I talk about my dad. Um, and I will need to further his name and honor his name. Um, but really, my legacy for me, my why is really focused on helping those that can't help themselves, the, the underdog, the dude that doesn't have that opportunity. And you look at a lot of the things I'm doing now, it's really focused on helping the person that wants that help, not trying to drown a horse that won't drink the water that you led to the water, right? It's who wants the help, who's ready to take action. So it really focuses on why do you want to build all of that? I really want to find out because at the end of the day, it's a mutual partnership between you and I. If I don't correlate with your why, if your why is I want to kick my feet back and, and uh, sit on the beach one day and drink a beer, we're not going to work well together because that's not what I'm doing. That's not what I'm focused on. So if that's the idea you have going into business, I can tell you right there's your problem. Nobody's going to give you money to go sit on the beach somewhere. I mean, just really, it's not. Now, if that's what you end up doing, don't get me wrong. I love sitting on the beach, drinking a beer. And I would love to spend a couple days here and there doing it, but that doesn't mean I'm going to stop working. So if that's your true driving factor, there's your problem right off the bat. But if you haven't even identified why you give a crap about what you're building, how can you tell other people why they should care about what you're selling? And as soon as you start identifying those different pieces, I think a lot of clarity starts coming to your marketing, your branding. I mean, you know about this piece, right? All the branding, the marketing, your voice, um, your reputation. And I feel like the brand is the digital representation of your in-person reputation. Wow. So if you can't put your voice out there because you don't know what the hell your voice is, that's where you want to start. Figure out how do you identify yourself and identify why people should care about what you're doing. And then it sales become a little bit easier as you can passionately talk about all that. Yeah, I mean, I think that that was definitely sexy. So I'm going to flip the script, right? I'm going to play devil's advocate. I'm going to flip it back to you. I'm going to ask you the same question that you would ask them. Why are you doing or why are you in the business that you're in today, considering that you've had six businesses, you had success? Why are you choosing to be more so of a business coach than any of the other strategies that you've engulfed in over the years? Um, people kept asking. I, I hate the term coach, man. It's been bastardized. There's so many coaches out there that have never done anything. They got a curriculum. They're going to go teach the curriculum, Right. Um, that drives me nuts. And people kept asking if I would teach them X, Y, and Z. Um, so it's been about a year now. I moved out of so six of the companies I moved out of. Um, they still run, they operate, but without me. So I, I can focus on this piece. And a lot of it really goes back to my first why story. Um, and I don't even think this one's in the book. But it really focuses on why I wanted to leave law enforcement and actually start my own, my first company. Uh, I responded to an audible alarm. And as a cop, you get audible alarms all the time. Driving around in the middle of the night, an alarm goes off, the wind blew, the storm set off the alarm, nothing crazy, right? 97% of the time. Every once in a while, you show up and an actual burglary happened, right? And this is in my backyard. I grew up playing t-ball, like the next door over, essentially, from where this happened. And I show up, the back door's kicked in. We do a clear the house. Nobody's there. Uh, my partner and I are waiting. We have to call the homeowners. And the homeowners have to come out and say, I'm going to check everything. And you have to make sure everything's safe for them. And part of the process, um, one of the things I, I dislike about law enforcement, it, it you know, it's coined to protect and to serve. The reality of it is, is in a situation like that, police officers respond and report. They're not really protecting anything. They're responding. It's very uh, reactive, right? And as we're going through and they're like detailing, you know, the TV's gone, the laptop's gone. All of a sudden, this young woman, um, there's a young couple, they just got married. This young woman sprints to the back room and she gets to the back room where jewelry box is like tipped over and everything's scattered. Right. And she starts trifling through everything. And um, she was looking for one item and it was an heirloom ring that her grandmother gave her um, and her grandmother passed a few weeks before. 
and she's lost it. It's a, a jewelry, an item like that, like you can't track, right? So it's lost. There's no way to like, there's no serial number attached to jewelry. So there's no way to like go back and be like, oh man, we can find this for you. So as she's bawling in between stops, she, she looks up at me. She's like, what can I do to keep this from ever happening to my family again, my friends, people I care about? How can I stop this from ever happening again? And as a police officer, you are taught you're not allowed to give that recommendation. You can't tell them this lock, this alarm, this blah, blah, blah will keep you safe. Because if you tell them that and it doesn't work, you get sued. The city gets sued. The police department gets sued. So because of liability, which is why I left law enforcement, I stopped putting handcuffs on people and started wearing the handcuffs. I couldn't do my job anymore because it became such a liability heavy society. Um, so I left that and started my first security firm or started my security firm where we gave the recommendations to people. How do you still stay safe? Well, this is the best way to lock. This is how you install it. This is how you barricade. This is how you do X, Y, and Z. So the whole piece of that shift created my why of helping those that can't help help themselves. Seeing this young woman just in tears and knowing she didn't have the knowledge to help herself. And I did. I felt like a guilt attached to that. Like, man, I want to give this recommendation, but I've been told so many times I can't. Mm -hmm. So I started that company and then each company since then has been somebody wants help with something and they don't know how to accomplish it. And if I have that skill set, it's like our duty and obligation to create that as a furtherance for them. So the security firm was that way, the domestic violence nonprofits that way, uh, the business coaching's that way. And, and the newest uh, 501c I started last month is the same thing for veteran business owners. It's furtherance of their mission. It's actually called advancing the line. And it's all about helping those that can't help themselves, but really want to take that action. They just need a little bit of help. Wow. So, I mean, obviously you wouldn't be where you are if you didn't have the journey, but if you can go back and change anything or any aspect of your journey to get you to where you are, to say 10 times faster, when would you go back to and what would you change? Hmm. Man, I think the biggest one, probably when I was 22 or 23, young and impressionable as a cop. Um, and I talk about this in the book I talk about the, uh, corruption in law enforcement. And when I say corruption, I don't mean necessarily financial and like plant dope on people, right? I'm talking about like inside the building, the way the mentality is. I, I started law enforcement, literally thinking I was a modern day superhero. I'm going to be a knight, literally in uniform, right? And this is before the tattoos and the armor got put on me, right? Um, and I went in with rose colored glasses, literally looking up to cops is like, oh man, y'all are amazing. Mm -hmm. Y'all are like what I want to be. Y'all are modern day knights. I want to do that. And had such a respect for the industry until I found out that a lot of cops do it for the right reasons, but take advantage of it. And you start in order to succeed, like you have to like become one of them and you have to shift a mindset. And this, I mean, this is an inflammatory piece to a lot of law enforcement. Don't get me wrong. We need law enforcement. There are a lot of great guys, but when you don't hold yourself to the standard uh, personal values, Right. It's hard to turn around and point a finger at other values. And if I could go back and think about those early days where I shifted into um, being one of the guys, right, being one of them to belong. And I lost myself for a couple of years. I lost who I was, what I wanted to be, who I wanted to be, the man that would have been my dad to be proud of. If I could go back and look at it, then I would step into who I am today and be like, all right. This is who I am. I've got earrings. I've got tattoos. You're going to see them, right? I walk into Buckhead, you know, right? Walk into Buckhead and I have sleeves rolled, earrings out. Like, I don't give a shit. Like, this is who I am. If I had had that confidence a decade ago, I think I would have gotten here a lot faster. But like, this is who I am. This is what I'm about. And I'm going to stand strong here. I think if more people took that stance, mm -hmm. and it applies in business and applies in life. I think that would have shifted a lot for me. Well, I think that, that that's, that's a hell of a turnaround because, but I was envisioning it was like one of the stories in the book where you were saying that, like being a cop and getting spit on and being called a racist was kind of like the turning point for you to say, you know what, like fuck this, I, I can't, I can't protect people who, that that essentially don't see yeah. me as protection. But, but based upon what you just said, it is a whole nother like vision of that philosophy that kind of changes. Mm -hmm the point of view of a person that when you look at cops or you look at entrepreneurs, you have to see them from a different point of view. Again, you're never going to be able to walk in their shoes until you walk in their shoes. 
Yeah. And, and man, I hated it, bro. I had people I grew up playing t-ball with that were spitting on me. And it's like, like, bro, I, I literally grew up coming to eat dinner at your house and you know me, you know, I'm not that type of guy. Right. But um, the culture in law enforcement has shifted. And what was tough about it, um, I couldn't look myself in the mirror back then and be like, yeah, you're a great guy. Right. Cause I was doing dumb shit on the side. Right. Yeah. And you, you look at that world when you, especially at 21, I was young, impressionable, by no means any excuse. Um, I just thought that was the way to do things. Right. Didn't know any better, but should have. And I think that's the shift. If, if law enforcement had kind of taken that mindset toward everything that happened in the 2010s and the 2000s, um, maybe there would be a different, more empathy attached to it. Right. If we could actually stand strong, be like, Hey, we're awesome. And this is why we hold these values in and out of the uniform. I think there might've been a different dynamic attached to it. Right. But when, when people are saying these things, I can't like, def- there, there's not really much to defend. Like, well, you know, no, I'm not out here just killing people for shits and giggles. No, that's not what I'm doing. Most guys aren't out there thinking that, but when you have those bad apples, it's like, well, shit, I can't really defend that. And like, I know what you're doing when you're out of the uniform. I can't really defend you either because you don't have those values that you're portraying out of the uniform. Um, so it became tough, man. And it was a culture I had to break away from personally because I, I didn't want to continue down that road, not knowing where the hell it would lead me. Wow. So, I mean, I think the key word that you brought up a couple of different times in that last statement was like value. And obviously being that you were raised in such a, a stubborn household of like <laughs> idealizing what needs to be done, getting it done. Now let's talk about you today as, as like, like a family man. So obviously we'll talk about daddy T and, and correct me if, I, if I'm pronouncing <laughs> it wrong. Is it, is it queen, queen Sadie? Is her queen name? Sadie. Yep. Queen that Sadie. is her. So I want you to talk about it. Cause I mean, obviously I think out of everyone, right. I mean, in, in the book you were talking about, you know, the, like being married a couple of different times and going up in the mm-hmm. highs and the lows. And the irony is, is that, you know, Sadie is 16 years old. So she's been through all this shit, which she got, she can't speak English, man. <laughs> so, so I want you guys, and I'm saying those that don't know, obviously Queen Sadie is, is his dog. Right. So I want you to kind of talk about like, like your family life now that you have daddy T and, and you have Queen Sadie in there. Like, what does your day to day look like considering that you're a highly business person, but obviously you have to have family time as well. Yeah. And it's funny as you're talking, she's literally asleep underneath my chair right here. I've got, I don't know if you've seen the portrait, the portrait of Queen Sadie. That's crazy. <laughs> yeah. So Daddy T, Taylor, she got me that for my birthday this year. Yeah. Um, but, but yeah, Sadie's, she's 16. I got her right out of high school. She's been the the solid piece attached to this whole journey. Um, I had a, a, a German shepherd that passed, uh, during COVID, um, at 14. So still a great life for, uh, an old pup. And, um, now daddy T Taylor, um, it, it's funny. I heard something a few months ago, um, I, on a podcast and I heard somebody say, there's no such thing as a work-life balance. You can only hope for an integrated life. Mm. The best you can get is integrating life across. So work, life, um, family, business. And you see it since you since you've known me, right? And, and Taylor and I are still rather fresh to this world. Her company is very fresh. She's only a couple months in business now, officially with her own um with her own LLC. Um you have to integrate it, man. There is no in between. Like I have in my calendar from noon to two, it is blocked out for a walk, lunch, and Sadie time. Sometimes we'll do a workout together, right? Um, on every Friday night from five to 10 is pay time. Like I, I schedule it in because if I don't, uh, somebody else is going to call. Somebody else is going to need something. I'm always wanting to be out there for folks. And she's gotten on my ass a couple of times about it. When, you know, Friday night at, at four o'clock, I get a meeting and she's like, yeah, uh, we have pay time in an hour and we have date night. So I think it's one of those, you, you have to be very intentional about integrating your life across, whether that's the dog and taking her out for a walk or, or the tailor that gets really angry if you don't take her out for a walk. Um, God, I hope she didn't hear me say that. <laughs> um, but it, yeah, I think the integrated life and being very intentional about that is, is the best way to do it. Because if you try to keep them separate, one or the other is going to feed into the other at the end of the day. Very cool. Very cool. So, yeah. So, Daddy T, if, if you are listening and eventually you probably will listen to this episode, I'm not editing that shit out. <laughs> <laughs> She'll kill us both. Like, that's fine. Like, oh, uh, man. man. So, 
So I mean, obviously you're, you're an author, right? So every time I have an opportunity to interview an author, it's always like the telltale sign. Like you're writing a book, you're telling a story, you kind of change the direction of the book. But let's go back in time a little bit. Like what books kind of helped you on your journey to become who you are before you even became an author yourself? Yeah. Um, I think one of the most spoken about on my show and in the military community is Jocko and Leif Babin's um, Extreme Ownership. That was, it's a great one. And a lot of people talk about extreme ownership, uh, but I actually don't like that one as much as I like their follow-up. Extreme ownership really um, laid out a context of leaders to always just take the blame, mm-hmm. uh, which that is taking ownership of your actions and those that are your subordinates. But what ended up happening is there was no accountability attached to that. It was like, yep, yeah, it was my bad. I didn't train them well enough. And that was it. Um, and they wrote a second book called The Dichotomy of Leadership. And in the, the Dichotomy of Leadership, they talk about how you have to take extreme ownership up and extreme accountability down, where if somebody screws something up that is your subordinate, you have to fix it. You have to keep accountability. They don't just get a pass. Um, and that was a great book attached to things that happened in Afghanistan. I had uh, one soldier that was not supposed to be on a 50 cal machine gun. Um the soldier that was on it said, ah, I don't feel like it today. And without me knowing, got off the machine gun and told the younger, less experienced guy to get up on the machine gun. They went to do a test fire and he shot several rounds of a 50 cal into a friendly motor pool. Thank God nobody was injured. Nobody was hurt. But don't think that wasn't a very long report I had to talk about. So I had to take extreme ownership up. Hey, man, I didn't train that one soldier properly. I didn't tell that sergeant exactly what had to happen. And then I went back and kept them accountable. Right. But at the end of the day, it all lies and falls on on what I did or didn't do. Those two books are phenomenal. Um, And I actually have another one sitting right here, Dale Carnegie. Um, The Dale Carnegie, How to Win Friends, Influence People, and how to stop worrying and start living. Um, a lot of people talk about John Maxwell as a great leader and oh. great leadership content. Love John Maxwell. Uh, but going through Dale Carnegie's course, learning a lot about Dale Carnegie. Um, he wrote a book about Abraham Lincoln called Lincoln Unknown. Super fascinating. Um, I, I really love a lot of what Dale Carnegie put out there. And it's tried and true over the years. Wow. Wow. It is definitely, I mean, it's, it's, it's inspirational hearing you talk about Dale. Because, I mean, Dale is, is such a phenomenal forever long leader right i mean he's not new to the game but i mean his his philosophies are still being utilized till today i mean it's just just crazy when you think about it. it's kind of like um napoleon hill in in reference so i mean with that let's talk about your book i mean like how did you come up with the title for the book i want you to kind of talk about like like your first book because i mean obviously you were designing and and creating a a more leadership business book and it turned into more of a book about love and there's some leadership and some business in there but it was more so like almost like a documentary of your story so i want you to kind of talk about the transition of writing those two different styles yeah so the 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 original book i wanted to write was called the legacy of leadership um it's actually going to be the the second book i release um next year Uh, So that book's still going to happen. It's really going to be focused on content from the podcast. Here are the tactics that leaders use to create a legacy. Um, So there are a couple other books I have game plan. But what what I found is I started trying to write that book. I got stuck. And I wrote, um, I was published in a military uh, publication. And I wrote a book, uh, wrote an article about a 50 page article about how the military doesn't teach the art of leadership. They teach the science of being a leader. And the art form of actually leading people has totally left what's being taught. Um, and as I started writing more, I'm like, oh, this is going to be a great baseline for the legacy of leadership. This is what I'm going to build off of. But then I started going through that really dark period. And as I was going through the dark period, I had a 30-day challenge with, uh, I talked about Jesse in my book and um, did a 30-day challenge where he said, I, I didn't stop learning, but where I failed the most is I stopped learning inward. I kept getting external knowledge and I wasn't maintaining internal knowledge about who the hell I was. So when I lost the uniform, that transition became really, really difficult for me because I didn't know who I was outside of officer night or lieutenant night or whatever it may be. Right. So the shift came when I made a, a few posts in, in June, um, I have a 30 day course that's attached to um, it's 30 day self mastery course. And it's like, 
literally 30 days, five minute tactics each day, you know, something you can bite off. And as I, as I went through that, I posted it again, a, a year later after having the course didn't launch really well the year before. And I'm posting like, let me do some awareness about it. And I did 30 days of self mastery and uh, that self mastery challenge. And one of my clients saw it and she's like, there's your book expand on that. So I took about 10 hours, put it all in one piece of literature and it'll be in about 30, 130 pages and my mentor, Michael Coles, who wrote the forward in the book, um, he came back and said, hey, this is garbage and it's not vulnerable and you need to do more. Um, you got to stop being guarded. This is not what you're about. So the title came up of the legacy of love. And I feel like to have self-love is how you start creating a legacy. A big rhetoric in this book that I hope people gather is that you really have to learn to lead yourself before you can effectively lead others. Mm -hmm. So that journey of self-mastery for me was really outlined in this book of like finding how to lead myself through the dark times, lead myself through those really negative moments where we get stuck on something really frustrated and the tactics I use to get out of that, how to get out of my head and get stuff on paper or get it into a piano or whatever it may be. And I really feel like that's how the baseline. So the, the legacy of leadership is being written, but I really felt like getting this one out. Let's lead ourselves before we lead others. Um, I think that was the baseline for me. Like I have to get this one out. Let's talk about how I led myself. So hopefully other people can start leading themselves before we talk about leading others. Well, I, I think like based on what you said, I mean, I, first of all, I, I love the fact that you said this is not your last book, right? I mean, obviously, anyone that has a publication or understands books, you always start off with one book, but you always want to make it volume one or, or a series of books. Yeah. Again, the story is not ended until you, like you're not here. So why would you stop with one book, right? Right. That, that that's, that's goes back into like what you said earlier on this episode. You were saying that you're, you're working for the next 30 years to catch up to your dad. <laughs> so I want you to, to knock off 10 years from that. And I want you to say, okay, where ideally do you see yourself with your books, with your business, with family 20 years from now? Ooh, all right. Mid fifties, private jet. Um, I don't joke, man. It was on my 35, uh, by 35, I wanted a private jet. Don't know that I'm going to hit that number. I might be close, but um, honestly, I, I would love a jet that I can get around the country, get around the world in a faster manner to save time to speak more. Um, I hate, I am a terrible flyer post Afghanistan. My ears are terrible. I don't do well with like tight compartments that you're stuck in. Um, so honestly finding something where I can travel and keep the integrated life. I'm still speaking. Hopefully the books have, have done well. They were number one new release. Uh, this one was a number one new release in two categories. Um, hoping that momentum continues, but I don't know that I necessarily have a plan for, uh, I have, three books, a journal and a workbook planned. And over the next two years to, to release those. Um, but 20 years out is, is a long time, man. And, and thinking about the impact I've made in the last 18 months as I've gotten off active duty and really focused on this world. Um, ATL vets advancing the line for veterans is I think it'll be my legacy piece, man, really focusing on helping the veteran community merge into the business community. Mm-hmm. And you've been to my events, man. So, you know, like trying to bring veterans and business and business into veterans and, and trying to mix these worlds where we have this community. I think it, recognizing like a legacy community of sorts would be phenomenal. Having this community of people across the country, across the world that have the empathy to recognize we all struggle with the same shit that we don't want to talk about. Um, and, you know, we're talking about it while building each other up through it. And, and if I can do that in the next 20 years where I'll be stoked because then I can sit here and talk about, yeah, back in the day when SA put me famous and I became an overnight success because of the Boston cage, man, um, that would be awesome, man, to be re- to really be able to look at, I have these amazing people around me that we've all struggled through the same shit. We all felt alone in that shit, but we've all come out of it and even we're even better for it. So, I mean, that, that's, that's a good segue to like ideally, right? So you're, you're talking about 20 years down the road, you want to make a, a, the Atlanta vet like more so like your legacy piece, right? Mm-hmm. Who is the ideal avatar? Uh, obviously you're talking about vet vets, but, Mm-hmm. Are they business owners? Are they like more so entrepreneurs? Like what's the combination of, of, of that ideal person that you would like to communicate with? Yeah, it's business owners, entrepreneurs, um, guys that are struggling, guys or gals. Um, I was in the infantry, so we didn't have any females. So but if I say guys, don't take offense to it. But guys, gals, people that own businesses or entrepreneurs, hopeful entrepreneurs, 
one thing that I recognize is veterans have a sense of entitlement. And we come out, hey, we served for five, 10, I'm going on year seven as this discharge happens. Uh, but I've served for five, 10, 20 years. Um, some of us hate when you say thank you for your service. I don't like it particularly because it is a choice and it is my honor to be able to serve. Um, other folks like want that thank you, right? And they have that entitlement of like, oh, I did all this great for 20 years. But what you don't realize is it doesn't mean if you did something great for 20 years, if you transition into a new career, you're not necessarily going to be the top of the top in this new one, right? Mm -hmm. And that sense of entitlement, I would love to break um, among veterans and recognize like you put in hard work for 20 years. Now it's time to do it again because you know you can do it again. So talking to that veteran that needs an opportunity, needs a break, uh, I was always an underdog. I was always the guy that was like, doubted every step of the way. And I love that because it adds fuel to my fire. Wow. And I want to be able to find those veterans. And I have uh, a list here in Atlanta where eventually we're hoping to go national, of course. But here in Atlanta, I have a, a list of a couple dozen veterans that are business owners that have projects supporting the veteran community. And what I realized is they don't necessarily have the platform, they don't necessarily have the awareness to be able to impact what they want to do. Uh, and so ATL Vets is really going to be focused on funding projects for these veteran business owners. And when I say funding projects, we're not going to hand you money, but we're going to accomplish a project for you. So you come to us and we're going to do like a proposal day, right? You come to us, you propose like, a, uh, give us a pitch like Shark Tank, but we're not going to take equity from you. We say, absolutely, we love this idea. We're going to take our funds, go hire a veteran-owned business, and then come back and accomplish that project for you. And then with my media company, we're going to do the PR around it and we're going to help market because veterans don't know how to market themselves. You're told to sit down and shut up for so long. You don't know how to market yourself. So you don't know how to talk about yourself. So I'm going to help them do that and help them find their voice attached to it. Uh, so that ideal person, somebody just needs a break, right? Yeah. I just need this one tipping point. I need one little thing to advance the line for me. There's no telling where I can go with that. And I want to be able to provide that support to the community. So let's just spin that, right? So that person, let's say they're listening right now, what words of wisdom do you want to leave them with for them to take action to get to the next level? All you got to do is ask. Like, with pride, man, and again, SWAT, Green Berets, like, I, I was top of the top. And the pride is strong, and the ego is strong, and as men, we have that, right? Like, it's already tough to ask. But the crazy part is, if you don't ask, I'll never know, right? If I never ask for this, I'll never get that, Right. And if you can have the courage, and I love defining courage, it's not the lack of fear. It's at taking action in the face of fear. And fear is really just false evidence appearing real for one more acronym for you. Um, but having the courage to stand up and say, hey, I need help. Hmm. And that's either personally, that's professionally, but hey, I need help. And there are so many people that are out there willing and able to help, but if they don't know you actually need it because you put this bravado on, then nobody can help you and nobody's going to help you. And then you get a chip on your shoulder. He's like, ah, oh, I just never got a break. Well, you never asked for help from people. You're still going to have to put in work. Like, I'm not just going to give away all this. Like, we have that work ethic. You still have to put in work. But there are people that will support you along the way that will further what you're doing as long as you ask for that furtherance. Wow. So how does this person get in contact with you? I mean, what do you want to leave them with as far as like social media platforms or website, <laughs> email address? Yeah, um, across all social media, um, you can find me at Zach A. Knight, Z-A-C-K, the letter A, Knight. Um, same as my website, ZachAnight.com. It leads to all the companies, all the business, but I, I'm on my social media, um, LinkedIn specifically. You can find me at Zach A. Knight, but you'll find me free, hopefully pretty easily now. I'm trying to get my SEO rankings up there, trying to get findable. <laughs> um, on Amazon, same thing. You can find the book by searching my name or The Legacy of Love. Uh, really encourage that piece. The, the fun part about the book, or I try to make it the fun part about the book, is it's really interactive. Um, there are certain pieces throughout the book where there's a QR code. You can scan the QR code and go to several online groups that I have talking about different pieces of the book, whether it's talking about the value yourself, a journey of forgiveness. There are different communities that I'm trying to build work talking through this stuff. So I encourage that piece, like scan the QRs and like come find out what the conversations are being had around this topic and nobody wants to talk about. Very cool. So that, that brings us into a bonus round question, right? And, and I like this question because again, with your background, it's like flipping a coin to figure out who you're going to say. So if you can spend 24 hours with anyone, hmm. that person can be dead or alive. 
you're spending 24 hours uninterrupted with that person, who would it be? Why? Abraham Lincoln. Uh, I feel like he's the greatest leader of all time. Um, there are some amazing leaders out there. Um, honestly, if you look at it, Hitler was an amazing leader. Terrible value system, terrible things that he did, <laughs> but he could lead people. Mm. And he stood in the face of adversity and was stuck on, this is what I'm going to do. He just was terrible in his ideas and ideology attached to things. You look at Abraham Lincoln. He stood on a platform that nobody wanted to listen to. And he stood resilient and he stood hard. He ended up paying for it in the long run. But he stood strong in his virtues. The things that I couldn't do as a younger male, um, as a young adult, he did throughout his entire life. And that book I mentioned um, uh, Lincoln, the unknown and talks about his, his childhood, his life growing up. He came from nothing, like literally came from nothing and rose to that legacy that he left mm -hmm. and he stood firm on it all. If I could like pick his brain, like, Hey, Hey bro, what's the secret when all these doubters are hating on you? What's yeah. the secret? You know, when, when that pistol is against the back of your head, would you do it all over again? Like, would you keep fighting this great fight because it's the right damn thing to do? And I would love to think that he would, because I think a lot of us, need to do that keep fighting the good fight um, no matter what negativity you're facing because it's the right thing to do wow wow i mean to, to your point i mean he was a hell of a leader for sure so let's this 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 ask you this other question then right you've had multiple significant achievements throughout life which one would you say is your most significant one to date um honestly this book it was tough, man. I've had uh, uh, some breaks in the middle of it, reliving a lot of that stuff. Um, but getting the the journey on paper, talking about how I hated myself, talking about how I had to forgive myself for not honoring the memory of those I lost in Afghanistan, um, really showing that struggle. Um, it, bro, there are times where I'm like, delete, delete, delete. This is not going out. And thankfully, word saved <laughs> that progress. Um, even having my mentor tell me it was garbage and it was guarded and I needed to, like, he refused to write the forward until I rewrote the book. I'm like, holy shit, dude, it's supposed to be out in a month, right? Oh. And it's like, uh, I think right now that, that shining achievement has to be that I actually put it on paper and I can only hope it makes the impact I'm, I want it to make uh, for people. I think I think it definitely it, it will. I mean, plus, you know, obviously when you were writing, it was sometimes like on Facebook, you were writing outside, like in front of a garage and you had Queen Sadie sitting mm -hmm. down there on the floor next to you. So, I mean, obviously <laughs> you put a labor of love into this book. So I definitely, yeah. you know, I, I, I recommend it. I mean, I've read multiple different aspects of the book and I think it's a phenomenal book because, again, you're, you're telling your story, but you're telling your story through leadership, which is it's, it's the best way of doing it. Right. Hopefully <laughs> we'll see, I guess. <laughs> So going into closing, man, you're a fellow podcaster, man. And I love every time I interview someone, I like to give them the, the opportunity to become the host of the Boston Cage podcast and I become the guest. So what questions do you have for me? Oh, oh, man. Catch me off guard. I love it. Um, hmm. Given the branding that you have for Boss Uncaged, Uncaged being breaking free from so many different things, breaking free from that thing holding you back. Mm -hmm. Given the conversation we talked about with tactics and leading yourself and leading others, becoming uncaged and becoming a boss that's uncaged, give us the background on what does it mean like to uncage yourself from that? Wow, that, that, that's, that's, that's a pretty significant question. And uh, the best way to answer it is, is, is seizing the opportunities. And I'm not talking about like dollar sign opportunities. I'm talking about seizing any opportunities, whether it's networking events. And we can go as micro if you want to. If you're in the room and you're scared to have a conversation with someone, that's you being in a cage, right? If you have opportunity to speak up and tell someone something that your viewpoint's a little bit different and that can change the outcome of that particular project, if you're in a boardroom, then that's becoming uncaged. The goal is here is to not just do things randomly, but do things that have benefits for you and the outcomes for your community and have the goal of everyone in this community to be like-minded and grow. And if you're not speaking up and if you're not stepping out the cage to do that, then who is going to do it? Nobody's not going to do it for you. You essentially have to do it yourself. Man, I love that. That's a damn good way to put it because it's so true, man. Got to be able to step up and do it. Yep. Yep. So do you have any other questions? 
I think that crushed it. I think that's a great note to leave it on. Cool, cool. Well, I mean, obviously, taking time out your busy schedule, and it's kind of crazy because like there's no telling. I mean, today you having a like a meeting at six thirty tonight too. So I mean, this dude's yep. schedule is—you think my shit is crazy? This dude's schedule <laughs> is definitely crazy. So I definitely appreciate you taking time out your busy schedule to be with us today. I think you dropped a lot of insight, nuggets, nuances to this. Like you know, you can be born a Grady baby and be highly successful. <laughs> Don't doubt the Grady babies, man. Never doubt the Grady babies. <laughs> well, I appreciate you being here today, Zach. I uh, appreciate you, SA. Great. SA Grant, over and out. Thank you for tuning in to another empowering episode of Boss Uncaged, where we've explored the ins and outs of entrepreneurship, harnessed the power of digital marketing, and embraced the journey of building impactful brands. As we wrap up this episode, I want to express my deepest gratitude to our incredible guests, listeners, and the entire Boss Uncaged community. Your dedication to unlocking your potential and conquering the business realm has made this podcast a dynamic hub of inspiration and knowledge. Throughout the Boss Uncaged journey, we've delved into exclusive interviews, shared strategies, and celebrated success stories from founders, business owners, entrepreneurs, and executives. It's been a roller coaster of insights, lessons, and triumphs, and I hope you found valuable takeaways to apply in your own entrepreneurial endeavors. Whether we've tackled challenges together, explored the vast landscape of diverse media platforms, or uncovered the secrets to dominating in business, your commitment to the Boss Uncaged spirit has been truly inspiring. If you haven't already, make sure to subscribe, like leave a positive five-star review, and share the Boss Uncaged podcast to continue elevating the business game. The Boss Spirit runs free, and we're always ready to amplify your entrepreneurial journey with extra resources at bossuncaged.com. Before we sign off, remember that Boss Uncaged is more than just a podcast. It's the heartbeat of the Boss Uncaged educational network and omni-media. It's a vision brought to life by the Uncaged boss in all of us. Thank you for being part of this incredible ride. Stay hungry, stay focused, and keep conquering the business realm. Subscribe, like, and share now to keep the Boss Uncaged spirit alive. Boss Uncaged.